from the Center for European Reform. This is the CEA podcast. It is a critical moment. If we do not act with urgency, we would then severely undermine the liberal order. Brexit means Brexit, and we're going to make a success of it. The wind is back in Europe's sails. We have now a window of opportunity, but it will not stay open forever. Hi, this is Sophia Besch, one of the two co-hosts of the CEA podcast, and today I'm speaking to Beth Oppenheim, who you know as your other podcast host, and who is also a researcher here at the CER. Beth has written a great deep dive into the relationship between the EU and Saudi Arabia, and I really wanted to have her on today to discuss some of her findings. Hi, Beth. Hi, Sophia. We're doing this via the phone between Berlin and London, but it seems to be working out all right. Now, when Mohammed bin Salman, or MBS, became the Saudi crown prince in 2017, he initially was very successful in improving the kingdom's reputation. He introduced and promoted social reforms and raised hopes of modernization and moderation. Welcome back. I am just back from Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, where I spent the last week. I witnessed what seems like the beginning of a revolution. Uh, we uh, only want to go back to what we were, the moderate uh, uh, Islam that is open to the world, open to all the religions. But then last October, when Saudi journalist and dissident Jamal Khashoggi was murdered at the Saudi embassy in Istanbul, that shattered the illusions of many in the West about where the country was going. I have also been clear that if the appalling stories we are reading turn out to be true, they are fundamentally incompatible with our values and we will act accordingly. Now, Beth, let's look first at the actual track record of Mohammed bin Salman. How many reforms has he in fact implemented in Saudi Arabia and how has the country changed under his leadership? Thanks for that overview, Sophia. So... As you said, when Mohammed bin Salman came to power as crown prince, he went on this public relations drive to try to improve the reputation of Saudi Arabia in the eyes of the West. So he introduced these social reforms and these were really lauded by the West as great examples of modernization. So one of the most highly publicized ones was that women were given the right to drive. Uh, and that had be a, been a huge activist cause in Saudi Arabia among women who were being arrested for protesting. The power of the Saudi religious police has been reduced and live music concerts have been authorised for the first time in 25 years. So those are all pretty significant things, but actually underpinning these reforms has been a real continuation of the status quo. So the women activists still remain in prison and are being tried in dubious legal circumstances in Saudi Arabia right now. These social reforms have been coupled with the closing down of the political space. And I think that the murder of Khashoggi is probably the most prominent example of the Saudi regime's attitude towards activists and journalists and the widespread human rights abuses that are being undertaken by the regime. So the torture of such activists and journalists like Khashoggi, both internally in Saudi Arabia and also this crackdown on, on dissidents abroad and persecution of the Shia minority inside Saudi Arabia. And those human rights abuses are pretty well documented by NGOs like Amnesty, Human Rights Watch. And another thing that I think onlookers found quite concerning was the corruption purge by Mohammed bin Salman in 2017 after he'd become crown prince, when he arrested over 200 business figures and princes and held them captive at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel in Riyadh, extracting billions of pounds from them. And that was 
pretty clear that he was basically consolidating his power and replacing what had been really quite a slow tradition of royal consensus among princes with a more personalised form of autocracy. So I think, like you said, we've, we've seen these reforms, but actually they're, they're quite cosmetic. We can see that there's been a real continuation of the status quo in Saudi Arabia. Okay, so with that background, the important question for Europeans becomes, does Saudi Arabia still remain a useful regional partner for the EU? And do we have to swallow the bitter pill of partnering with an oppressive regime for the sake of regional stability? What's your take on that? I think the traditional view that we have of European Gulf relations, and particularly with Saudi Arabia, needs some revision. That's not to say that a close relationship is not in the interest of the EU. I think it is in the interest of both Saudi Arabia and the EU. But the relationship in its current form is imbalanced and it's not effective for the EU. And what's happening now is that European governments and institutions are turning a, a blind eye to Saudi violations because they're worried about losing security ties and energy security. And the, the traditional argument has been that Saudi Arabia is a pillar of stability, a counterweight to Iranian dominance in the region. But this doesn't really reflect the change dynamics in the region. And that's especially the case now that we've had Mohammed bin Salman rising to power and dominance. And rather than being a balance to Iran, Saudi Arabia has actually changed its foreign policy stance. And whilst it has rarely intervened militarily beyond its borders, it's now really ramped up the rhetorical and military stakes against Iran. And just as a bit of background about what that conflict is, that's an ethnic conflict. It's a conflict of Persian versus Arab. It's a sectarian one, as everyone well knows. Iran is the Shia Islamic Republic and Saudi Arabia is the leader of the Sunni Muslim world. And it's also an ideological one. Iran is a republic, Saudi Arabia is a monarchy. And that, that rivalry has been playing out through Saudi Arabia and Iran's engagement in bloody proxy conflicts in the Middle East region. And we saw that in Syria in 2015, when both countries stepped in to intervene. And most recently, and probably what's in most of our listeners' minds, is the conflict in Yemen at the moment. Um, and that came about because in 2015, the Houthis, which are a Shiite tribal group, overthrew the Saudi-backed government in Yemen. The Iranians decided to lend some limited support to the Houthis, but MBS really ramped up the rhetoric, overstated the extent of Iranian support for the Houthis, made it seem like a sort of question of life or death for Saudi Arabia and used Yemen to construct what is called by some experts a new militarized nationalism for Saudi Arabia, partly to deflect from what was a bit of an economic downturn. So I think that's really changed the regional dynamics and changed the argument for European reliance on Saudi Arabia. Another very important point is about Saudi Arabia is often cited as a counter-terrorism partner, really important for European security. Honourable members know that we have an important strategic partnership with Saudi Arabia involving defence and security cooperation, which has saved lives on the streets of Britain. That really overlooks the fact that Wahhabism, which is the ultra-conservative doctrine that is the state religion in Saudi Arabia, the influence of that is still flowing from Saudi Arabia, and that is also reaching Europe. It's important to say that jihadists comprise a tiny minority among Wahhabists, but Saudi Wahhabi jihadists have orchestrated high-profile acts of terrorism, the most notable being 9-11, where it turned out that 15 of the 19 hijackers were Saudi nationals. 
So funding for mosques, imams, schools is reaching Europe and that's influencing the Islamic culture in Europe, particularly in Belgium. So whilst Saudi exported Wahhabism is just one of many factors, it's hard not to draw the link to some of the terrorist attacks that have happened in Europe. And I think it provides an important challenge to the idea that the relationship with Saudi Arabia protects Europe from terrorism. Mm, Okay, interesting. So what is the current state then of the relationship between the EU and the Saudis? Who is setting the terms at the moment and what do both sides get out of it? Mm, So I think who's setting the terms is a good question. And I would argue that at the moment the relationship is being driven by a misconception about the power dynamic, where it seems that some European leaders feel beholden to Saudi Arabia for energy supply and security. But this dependency is more mutual than it seems Europe realises. Saudi Arabia is extremely reliant on European arms supplies, especially from France and the UK, and it needs investment in its ambitious economic diversification programme, Vision 2030, which Mohammed bin Salman launched. And it will also need Europe as an oil export market. In terms of the actual formal relationship, there is no bilateral relationship between the EU and the Saudis. It's quite unusual, actually. It's one of the few G20 states that has almost no contractual relationship with the EU. There's no strategic partnership, no free trade agreement, no political declaration. And the interactions are conducted through the EU and the Gulf Cooperation Council. But the Gulf Cooperation Council is not in a very good position at the moment. It's pretty paralysed, partly because of the blockade on Qatar, which was led by Saudi Arabia. So in terms of actually the EU's relationship with Saudi Arabia, it's very weak. And what steps into that void is the short-term interests of member states. So the member states really dominate the relationship with Saudi Arabia. And this inhibits a common European policy. So what we see is bilateral national policies, particularly on trade and arms and oil, competing with each other. And the two most dominant member states are the UK and France. So the UK and France both have pretty deep defence and security ties to Saudi Arabia. They're the two top suppliers of arms to the Saudis. Uh, The UK was the top supplier, I think, between 2013 and 2016. Half of the Saudi Royal Air Forces made up of military aircraft supplied by the UK and there are British military personnel in Riyadh and Saudi cadets being trained in British military institutions. Germany has a more distant relationship in terms of defence and it's perhaps for that reason that Germany has been probably the harshest member state on Saudi Arabia, issuing an arms embargo recently, which was part of the coalition agreement in Germany. And that was recently extended to include component parts, which has caused some pretty significant logistical problems for other European defence manufacturers and aggravated both France and the UK. So how... Is Europe actually responding to Mohammed bin Salman's aggressive foreign policy moves and his repressive internal policies? Do countries go beyond arms experts? So as a bloc, Europe isn't really responding. As far as at the EU level, it's, it feels like the EU is resorting to dialogue. So it condemns and expresses grave concern over Saudi actions in Yemen, calls for a ceasefire, but this has really had no effect at all. And even in terms of member states, we've had some member states like Germany come out and issue arms embargoes, but there's no holistic approach from Europe at all. It's completely incoherent and uncoordinated. And I think it's important to think that actually Europe's absence in this situation 
is not harmless. Actually, it's not constructive and it could generate new threats for Europe. Mohammed bin Salman's adventurism, if you want to call it that, is posing a serious danger to the stability of the region, which is Europe's neighbourhood. And that could lead to extremism and migratory pressures for the EU. The current power vacuum in Yemen and the dire humanitarian situation have bred instability and allowed extremist organisations like Al-Qaeda to flourish. This is an argument, a call really, for a more coordinated European response. It feels like the most important member states that have the closest relationship to Saudi Arabia, France and the UK, have done almost nothing to recalibrate their relationship with the Saudis after the Khashoggi killing and also in response to the atrocities in Yemen, possibly whilst using European weapon systems. Right, but then what can Europe do if if countries don't agree on the analysis of the conflict if they don't agree on their own interests or in Europe's interests, what options are there? It's difficult and this is the perennial problem of European foreign policy is that you have to move at the pace of the slowest member state and there is very real reluctance from the big players like the UK and France. I would make a plea for a more coordinated response in the future but I think if that's not possible there are potentially incremental steps that the EU and its member states can take. In terms of arms exports, Mogherini should be asking for a debate in the Council about the application of EU law to arms exports to Saudi Arabia. The lawfulness of arms exports to the Saudi-led coalition is currently being debated throughout Europe. But I think whatever the status of the law question, it's clear that the war in Yemen is being sustained by the international arms trade and predominantly by the US, UK and France. So whilst an EU arms embargo might not wind down the Yemen conflict, it would significantly curtail the coalition's efforts. There is some shifts on this across the continent of Europe and moves in the US Congress towards an arms embargo. Whilst it's not really clear where that's going to go, Trump's just vetoed Congress on that that suggests that the atmosphere might be changing, the ground might be shifting. I also think that there's an argument to be made for deeper regional dialogue and involvement. Often you hear people saying that, you know, the EU doesn't have all that much leverage with Saudi Arabia. The EU has more leverage than it thinks it has, but also there's room for increasing that leverage for the future. And part of that could be through engaging further with and having greater coordination on those issues that concern the Saudis. So that might be on the issue of Libya, on the Sahel, and that's something that we've seen Europe struggling to be coordinated on. It's not too unrealistic to ask that the EU continue to articulate support for a full UN-led investigation into the Khashoggi killing, which as yet has not been opened. The EU can speak out against the detention and in some cases torture and killing of Saudi dissidents in the strongest possible terms. There is room for strengthened education and cultural initiatives, such as expanding Saudi participation in Erasmus+. So... It might look bleak and it might look fractured and it might look like an impossible quagmire for Europe to navigate, but I think that there are some measures that can be taken right now. Thank you so much, Beth, for talking us through your main points today. This was a bit of a sneak peek for your forthcoming policy brief, which will be published on the CER website in, I think, about a week's time. What's the paper called, Beth? It is You Never Listen to Me, the European-Saudi relationship after Khashoggi, and that refers to a quite tense conversation between Macron and MBS on the fringes of the G20 summit last year, where Macron was urging Mohammed bin Salman to listen to him more. That was after the killing of Khashoggi. All right. Well, I think it's a really great piece of work, and I urge all our listeners to have a look. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the CER podcast. 
If you have any feedback for us or want to leave suggestions for a future episode, then you can find us on Twitter at CER underscore EU.